It's been said that all the social and political problems besetting the human race are finally reducible to one, the problem of communication. When you've said that, you've said everything, or nothing, or at least very little, because the arts and sciences of communication seem themselves to be beset by problems of communication. In fact, on this reading, we're all in the position of the worried man in the story. Even our problems have problems. The word language itself has become so ambiguous, or at least capable of so many meanings, philosophical, scientific, even, even theological, that it's almost a relief to turn to the simple, if it is simple fact, that in an age when men are on the point of landing on the moon, the smallest international gathering still needs interpreters. And so we're still stuck with the laborious business of having to learn or trying to learn languages other than the ones we've been reared to or have adapt or adopted by choice or circumstance. After which rather pompous introduction, let's plunge into our subject, which is, has to do with the delights and distresses of language learning. Let's begin then with a few general words from May McKenna, who should be particularly qualified to enlighten us, since she's both a teacher and a learner. That's true. I teach French to adults, and uh, this year I've started to learn German, so I can see the problem from both sides. Um, I find, as an adult, uh, learning German, that I am very much in admiration of adults that I've come across who have started learning language quite late in life, have uh, persevered and have reached quite amazing results, which should be an encouragement to fellow adults and also should cause the admiration of young people. Do you think it's such a difficult business, then? I do. I think as an adult, um, to devote oneself to learning, I think it is. There's so many other things one has to deal with and think about to be able to set aside part of one's mind and part of one's time uh, to an operation which is associated with one's more uh, flexible years, so to speak. Um, I also found, slightly to my amazement, that the advantage that girls seem to have over boys in the early days seems to be wiped out much later. I found that adult uh, men seem to be much better adult learners. And traditionally, as you know, Sean, in this country, um, Girls learned languages, boys didn't very much, so they had a lot of time to make up. But I find that when they start as adults, they seem to uh, pass the women out very rapidly. That's curious. Uh, would this apply to speaking or to learning uh, to read or the whole thing? The whole thing, I found, mm. and this uh, did surprise me. Uh, there seems to be more determination in them to reach their goals somehow or another. That's an interesting comment, on, but we won't go down that <laughs> sidetrack now, fascinating though it is. Uh, what do you think is the, is the central problem of learning a language? I mean, is there one thing that you say, if you get, if you get yourself over that hurdle, you're, 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 you're in? Um, there's a sort of an inhibition uh, in adults, I find. Um, there's a tendency to cling closely to the set of sounds that has always been theirs through their own native language, and a sort of an inhibition or a self-consciousness about pronouncing words which are so different from the sounds that they've always been used to uttering all their lives. And the type of person that can get over this um, 
ex inhibition and who has possibly a streak of exhibitionism in him is the one to override this problem very quickly because it's almost like a, an actor playing a part. You see, he fits into a new role. He forgets uh, his former patterns of behavior. He begins to behave in a different way. And uh, he can succeed very, very rapidly. But the, the person who, who has difficulty in succeeding in learning a language is the one who, has, say, is slightly self-conscious and has to make a great effort of adjustment uh, from his former patterns of speech and sounds to the new ones. This will slow him up. So, as I say, the exhibitionistic sort of person and also the rather brash and um, uninhibited person will rattle along and won't worry too much about making mistakes. And I think that this is perfectly all right because if you're talking to a foreigner, and I have in mind French people very much, uh, the French are terribly impatient and they tend not to wait for the person who is choosing his words and his pronunciation too carefully and will tend to, to leave him there, whereas a person who is bashing on regardless, making all sorts of mistakes, but is communicating is the one that's going to succeed. This is all very interesting. And does it mean, though, that if you're a shy, sensitive plant, there's no point in you trying to learn no, the language? Tall, sure. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, you I mean, where would you and I be? <laughs> <laughs> Please. No, I, I, I don't go as far as to that. I think possibly the shyer person uh, is more of a perfectionist, and in the long run uh, will speak a more perfect um, version of the foreign language than the type of person I've described to you as being the one who's more immediately successful. Mm. But there is this uh, this inhibition thing, as you say. Tell me, um, did you yourself find now, starting German, did you find any touch of this at all in, after all, you've, you've been living with at least two sets of, of sound habits? Or, yes. Yeah. Um, Taking up a third, what was it? Uh, yes, well, I, I, I did, but I found that the, the sounds are easier for us to pronounce than uh, the French sounds would be. I, uh, personally, I have no difficulty in pronouncing French sounds, which that I've been studying French for a very long time. Uh, but I find that uh, German should be, the, the sounds should be a bit easier, a bit nearer to our own Anglo sounds. Our Anglo sounds? Well, I mean, let's face it. But no, but surely, I mean, this is an interesting point, surely. Our, I mean, even though... English is the majority language. Surely the, 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 the sound pattern of English as spoken in Ireland is quite different, say, from Southern English. It is quite true, but um, we have uh, some of our versions of English sounds uh, seem to me to be quite close to, um, to German. And even, I would say, many of our Gaelic sounds, I think this is obvious when we're speaking Gaelic, a lot of our sounds uh, are, are quite close to, to German sounds. Um, uh, that brings me to another thing which I think is, is, is worth mentioning here, is the value of, of Irish. If, if one has difficulty in uh, regarding it idealistically as our own language and the language that we must learn and we must all be uh, absolutely fluent and perfect in Irish, if one has difficulty in accepting this, one could regard it in a more materialistic way as um, a good training for learning other languages. And I think that seeing that Irish is the language which is compulsory in our schools, we all learn Irish, uh, we can put it to good use afterwards in learning other languages because there is quite definitely, I would say, um, an element of transfer uh, which remains and which helps us in the mechanics and overcoming the mechanics of language learning generally. Well, it is undoubtedly true as a general rule. If you have two languages, you could more easily learn a third. If third. you have three, you can more easily learn two more, I suppose. Yes, because in the third language, you come across something that you noticed in your first language, and the fourth, something you noticed in the third, and so on. Even though the languages may not be all members of the same group. No, they don't have to be at no. all. It's just that certain structures seem to repeat themselves uh, from one language to the next, but are not in the third language. 
And it, it all falls into a sort of a pattern. And I think that the Irish regarded in this way, which I know is not exactly the way one would wish to regard it, but I think that it, it is a point that no time is wasted learning Irish. A good deal of what May McKenna has said is echoed by our next witness. Люблю говорить по-русски, потому что русский язык очень мне нравится. Русский язык очень богатый язык. Which means uh, that uh, I like to speak Russian because uh, it pleases me, and Russian is a very rich language. Well, now that's Arthur Bowline, a civil servant here in Dublin, who started to learn Russian when about ten years ago, Arthur. Uh, I. Uh, learned to read it by myself and uh, when I'd got a fair way I took conversation lessons from Mrs. Corliss who used to live at Colin, you'll remember. Well, County Meath, yeah. Yes, and uh, County Loud. And uh, she used to give conversation lessons to people from the Department of External Affairs and I joined them. I took lessons from her for about four months or so but then unfortunately she fell ill. Uh, so I had to continue on my own then. But she was a splendid teacher. She had a great intuitive sense of how you were getting on, and uh, I was doing uh, really well, I thought. Uh, afterwards, I continued uh, to read it by myself. I'm very interested in the literature and have a great collection of Russian books, Russian records as well. But did you continue to take classes? Uh, not for quite a while, but in the last couple of years, uh, I have uh, met a Russian lady here in Dublin and uh, I take conversation from her. I visit her, uh, well, every second Saturday or so and for two or three hours we converse in Russian and I find that uh, we get on very well together and uh, we discuss the literature, we discuss politics, we don't see eye to eye on that. Uh, but uh, we have... Uh, uh, widely ranging conversations and I find that very useful to keep uh, uh, fluency in the language. I continue to read it. I get Novimir, uh, which is a, a monthly literary magazine uh, and uh, it is by far the best thing that comes out of Russia in the literary line. Uh, I also read novels, the classics and poems and poetry. I listen to records as well. I have uh, uh, that very beautiful play of Chekhov's uh, The Three Sisters on uh, record done by the Moscow Arts Theatre and uh, I listen to that occasionally and I have Gogol's splendid play The Revisor of the Inspector General uh, I have that on records as well and a number of others and I find that uh, well between reading and conversing and listening to the records that uh, well I, I, I keep my hand in well with the language I enjoy the language very much it, very rich and uh, uh, it is uh, to learn it is difficult enough but in any language uh, to learn it well you have to work hard at it. Uh, my approach was uh, I started uh, about ten years ago and for the first six months I really slogged at it and uh, when I got to be able to read it uh, in a fair way I thought I'd like to learn to speak it, and I can both read it easily now and speak it easily. You give me great encouragement, although I'm afraid my own uh, relationship with the Russian language has been rather like that of the late Mark Twain's uh, with giving up smoking, the easiest thing in the world. I've done it 25 times, you know. <laughs> and what really has been the, the, the first terrible hurdle for me that I've never got over has been the alphabet. 
Well, I've heard a number of people say that, but uh, actually the alphabet is quite simple. It takes about a week, really, and uh, that is quite true now. It, it takes you just about a week to get accustomed to the alphabet, because it's merely uh, accustoming yourself to the symbols. And once you've done that, and uh, the way I accustomed myself to them at the start was, uh, I used to uh, uh, write out the words, the cat is on the mat, etc., and uh, I found that after a short while, uh, the symbols presented no difficulty at all. And you began to recognize them quickly? Oh, yes. Uh, very quickly, in fact. In fact, uh, anybody really would, uh, inside a couple of weeks, uh, get used to the symbols. Well, of course, the Cyrillic alphabet in which uh, Russian and some of the other Eastern languages, Eastern Slavonic languages are written is, of course, very close to the Greek alphabet. And did you have Greek before? No, no I, I, I had I Latin, all right. And, and uh, Latin is of a particular help in studying Russian in that you have the six cases, you know, and the, no, the, the uh, nouns. Oh, and the dimensions of, of nouns, the yes. dimensions of nouns. And uh, uh, the structure is quite similar to, to uh, Latin. Yes. Uh, a I a very rich verbal system, I a believe. A very rich verbal system. And... Uh, uh, at the same time, very simple, mm. uh, but uh, the biggest difficulty, I think, for a foreigner, particularly uh, a foreigner of middle age like myself in learning Russian, is the enormous vocabulary. Uh, it's all right for uh, words with uh, Western European uh, uh, roots, like, say, uh, most of the words now relating to literature and music. Our, uh, our French derivation. Oh yes, of course, because and there was a period at which... Uh, quite. All this and when literature French. was coming to its peak, yes, as you might yes. say in Russia. German, uh, most of the scientific terms are of uh, German origin. But then there are vast uh, horde of words, you could say, relating to plants and flowers and nature that are Indo-European, all right, but have uh, no obvious Western affiliation. And... Uh, uh, one of the problems is to remember those. Yes. As you know, uh, you can remember things much more easily when you're a teenager uh, than uh, when you're my age. Uh, Indeed, I know this <laughs> all too well. <laughs> <laughs> even uh, when you're my age, even worse. But how it is, the, the, this, um, uh, in uh, sort of working one's way through this vocabulary, as you've said, it's apparently not, although Indo-European, it's not... Uh, obviously Western European. Uh, any other linguistic helps at all? Um, of course, in structure, again, I've heard it said that Old Irish, the, the verbal system of Old Irish, is not unlike that of Russian. Be that as it may, modern Irish does give you any help at all? With well, it does on the pronunciation. There are, uh, you know this combination of uh, broad and slender. Or oh, broad and slender consonants yes. with the pa and palatalization and of consonants. Also, yes. there are uh, quite a number of sounds uh, where the uh, Munster Irish uh, mm. uh, is uh, uh, a particular help, or at least the manner in which uh, Munster Irish is pronounced by native speakers, say from Kulkakwina. I, I think that uh, 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 Irish is a distinct help. That's a fascinating thought. I know, I knew the thing about the broad and slender, I mean, just as in Irish, of bod and boid, yes. and one is the plural of the other. Uh, that sort of thing goes on you're, in, you're in, in, in you're Russian, you're yes. You're, you have quite yes, a bit of that. That sort of thing. Uh, did you find yourself that when you went to... You have travelled in Russia. I have. I've been uh, there twice in 1962 and 1967. Well, how did you get on? Well, the first time 
uh, reasonably well, not uh, extremely well, I would say, but the last time in 1967 I got on very well and uh, a number of people marked that my accent seemed to be good. That now that was, may have been politeness to uh, a foreigner, but at the same time I did succeed in having many conversations with many different people and uh, I was pleased about that myself, naturally enough. And people tried to meet you halfway, did they? Uh, yes, I found quite a distinct uh, difference. Well, you'll always find, find that, say, if you go to France, uh, the French have quite a different attitude to a, a foreigner who doesn't speak French and one who does. If you don't speak French, well, you're sort of déclassé. You'll notice it immediately in restaurants. Well, in Russian or English, it's rather different. They're very uh, sort of apprehensive about people, I think, who don't speak Russian. But I found that immediately I spoke Russian or addressed people in Russian. They were warm and friendly and rather pleased. And, uh, of course, I was pleased that they were in such good humour, and I had many interesting conversations with people in the streets, in pubs that I was in, in the train, and uh, in the hotel we were staying in. We were in uh, Leningrad in Moscow. So all in all, well, of course, uh, that is, I, I, I would think it important to have a knowledge of the language in the country in which you're going to go. Well, through. I think common politeness means one should do one's best anyway to get yes, a little of it. but... Um, but apart from all that, you have found it well worthwhile learning Russian. I have. I find the... Uh, well, I have a number of languages, but my motivation always has been the literature, and Russian literature is immensely rich. It, has give, it gives me a constant pleasure. I have read all the classics like Vrainai Mir, uh, uh, Anna Karenina, and uh, the novels of uh, Dostoevsky, of Turgenev, of uh, uh, Goncharov. Uh, uh, Chekhov and uh, uh, Bunin, Babel and people like that and uh, it is a very splendid literature that's a great poet as well Pushkin is a very rewarding writer, a great poet and there are playwrights as well of course and uh, I think that well the literature is the life of the country and uh, it is certainly my main interest in, in uh, Russian that the life uh, of the people is so well portrayed in their literature. The biggest thing you found, the biggest difficulty you found was the vocabulary? Uh, I would say that, the, yes. Remembering words. Yes, yes. And... Of course, that applies more uh, to a person whose approach is to literature than a person whose approach would be, say, to a technical subject, like an engineer would learn uh, Russian for a precise purpose of... Uh, being able to converse about engineering matters with other engineers. Or if you'd learned it on the Modira when you were... <laughs> quite, but <laughs> literature, as you know, spans a much wider gamut than, uh, in that it is uh, the whole of life in many ways. And uh, this, it must be fascinating. And, of course, there's this vast folk thing there, too. Uh, it has a, a great folk literature, and I find that it has a thing that I'm very interested in, the number of proverbs. Oh, yes, but of course, Mr. Khrushchev made us aware of that. And, uh, you know, they're exactly like our Chernobyl, the proverbial wisdom. And if I may give you one, and it's a very pleasant one, you know, Ahanian Kiro Kiro Gele. Well, they have a, a very nice variant in that. 
and it is ribak, uh, ribaka, viditis dalaka, and that means that one fisherman recognizes another at a distance. Now, by way of contrast, with two younger learners, two teenagers, in fact, who went about the business in a very different way. Lean Ageron is a French girl who's been learning English mainly over here, and Catherine O'Reardon is an Irish girl who, with very little French indeed, was thrown in at the deep end, as it were, when, at the age of 13, she went to stay with a family in France. Oh, for the first few days, I didn't know what to say or where I was, but nobody could speak English to me. So I decided, well, I may as well try and speak some French. So I found myself picking it up and learning a few words and a few phrases and gradually coming into the conversation and understanding a bit better anyway. Now, all this time, were you reading any French at all? No, very little, because I had such uh, limited knowledge of French that I concentrated more on speaking and getting people to speak to me slowly so that I'd understand them and so that they'd help me out and reading was a bit beyond me at that stage. Did you find, in fact, that you knew whole sentences and phrases before you'd know how to spell them or before you could even break, up, break them up into words? Oh, yes, very definitely. Spelling afterwards became a bit of a problem, you know, because I, everything had to be the way it sounded. I was more inclined to spell it the way it sounded than well, the way it should be spelled. Well, certainly, at least you, you, you got plunged in at the deep end, the more dear. Um, did you have much the same experience, Lean, when, or did you learn English formally before you came to... Yeah. Well, in France, I stopped learning English uh, at school, of course, for about uh, six years. But uh, uh, for holidays in August, uh, every year I went to England for a month, but uh, just to practice my uh, English and uh, especially my accent. And I think uh, I improved my English a lot going away like that. But uh, I think the best way, anyway, is to come for for a year, you know, in, a, in the country itself. Well, you, uh, you've spent a year in Ireland? Yeah, right? I've been, I spent a year in uh, Ireland. I've been here since uh, last September. Well, what did you do? Did you go to... And I went to a school, yes. I went to a school, uh, au pair, if I can't say, and I taught French, and I had uh, English class, and uh, I had to pass and uh, to do an exam, too. And uh, I think it's the best way, really. I was with a lot of uh, people, and I... I practiced my English all the day, you know, I didn't speak French at all, and uh, I think it's the best way. Is English a hard language for a foreigner? I think, especially for French people, perhaps not about according to the grammar or the words, but uh, especially for the accent. I think the, the hardest things to do is to get a, a right accent, you know. And um, Particularly, I think, the intonation of a whole sentence, more than a more than uh, an individual word. Yes, that's right. Yeah, we find this quite a lot in radio. It's quite often a problem. Somebody maybe, you know, somebody quite important or interesting might be visiting here and we'd say, well, you know, what's his English like to put him on the radio? Because that's even right. though he might pronounce individual words splendidly, yeah. his, his whole intonation might be might make it extremely difficult yeah, to understand. Right, it. Right. And I'm sure that you find the same way with people, yeah, it's the same people way trying people, to talk yes, French. Or, it's exactly yeah. the same. And uh, it's, very du it's very hard to, because uh, people have a, a different accent, you know, in Ireland or in England, and uh, from Dublin or from Cork or from London, you know, and you are completely mixed up the first time, you know, you don't understand anything. One of the hardest things I always find is, 
you know, being able to understand what other people are saying to each other. Did you find this? Oh, yes, definitely. Sometimes when somebody speaks to you, I think they're more inclined to go slowly and picky and choose their words. When they speak to each other, it's like double Dutch, you know, it's a completely different language. And I'm sure you find this too, Lee. Exactly. Not now, but in the beginning, it's all very hard, yes. And uh, especially when they talk... Uh, together, you know, not uh, not talking to you, but even on the TV, on the radio, or when, they are, when there is a conversation, you know, you can't, f- to follow the conversation, it's very hard. Have you uh, been in anywhere else than France? Uh, I've been in uh, Germany also. Ah. I actually prefer Germany to France. You do? Yes. But do you prefer the German language to the French language? Well, I don't know, I... Did you find it easier or harder? Well, I had some German going to Germany, I had mm-hmm. done... A little in school for two years, but I found that the Germans helped me more with my language. They ah. spoke well. The Germans are inclined to speak very articulately and clearly, so that it was easier for me to follow what they were saying and to become part of their conversation. More than in France. More than in France. The French were, I think, to my ears, speak mm. quick more quickly. Yeah, I think it's the same. Uh, even for French people. Uh, when they are, you know, if you learn Italian, you know, Italian people speak very quickly, even for French people, and I think it's the hardest things to... Did you find uh, that, that this question of accent and intonation was really the only problem with English? I think it's the first problem, anyway, in the beginning. After, it's, if you can get a lot of vocabulary, and uh, that's all right, but the first thing is really the accent, you know, and it's a very long time before getting the right accent. What was your biggest problem, would you say, Catherine? Well, being able to make myself understood when, I, when you're lonely and you're away for the first time, you've got to say something to somebody, but when you can't say it in their language and when they can't speak your language, uh, you have to just to learn some French and try and get some meaning across to them. Now, as you settled down, did you find uh, reading and dictionaries and so on helpful at all or not? Oh, reading very much. When you have a basic knowledge of French, you can improve your vocabulary. When you have learnt an accent in France, you can improve every part of your French, your grammar, your actual spoken French, because you pick up phrases and the way they say it, a French turn and everything, or a German turn, which is much better and it's much easier to get across the meaning. And did you uh, find, say, in reading that newspapers were better than books, or what sort of thing did you read, magazines? or? Well, magazines at first, because they're easy to read and... Often they're illustrated, but then, well, a book, an interesting story, or sometimes I've read French books that I've already read in English, which means that I know the story and that I'm never stuck for, even if I don't know the meaning of individual words, I always get the sense out of the books. Uh, how about reading with you, Lee? I did the same, yeah. In the beginning, you can't read a book because you don't understand anything, but after two or three months, I think it's a great help because you, you get used with the usual English, I mean, the English speaking uh, by everybody, you know, even the slang or even the, the idioms. And um, it's a great help, too, when, as Catherine says, when you, you can read a book in English that uh, you have already uh, read in, uh, in French. Tell me, how about radio and television and films? Yeah, it's nearly the same than books. Uh, perhaps easier. In the beginning, you don't understand anything, but after you have the pictures, you know, with which uh, helps course, you. Yeah, it was television yes. and films, which yes. helps you. But um, it's according to the accent also. It's uh, when, especially uh, American picture, you know, and they have a 
terrible accent and uh, in the beginning you can't understand but uh, after I think it's a one uh, it's a great help like um, with books did you I mm. think television is one of the best ways for learning yeah. because even if you're you get tired of trying to listen to sentences and sentences of language you don't understand mm -hmm. you soon you pick up the odd word here and there and you know what's going on it isn't as much of a strain as trying to listen to a conversation mm -hmm. say on the radio or something mm -hmm. which you wouldn't if you lost thread of it, well, that's, yeah. that would be the end. Well, of course, this is true about radio. You have no chance to look back yeah, or to right. check and back. Especially, for example, on the TV for the news. You have news every day and you'll get used, you know, with the words. And uh, even the uh, advertising on the TV, you know, you get used with all the words and all the sentences. So you know what they're about. Yeah. You, do you have any difficulty at all now, really? I don't think now. I mean, to understand, I understand very well. And I, I think I can speak. I hope yes, I can speak yes. very well. <laughs> But I, I should like to spend another year, you know, really to speak uh, English like uh, everybody. I mean, every English people. And, uh, but uh, you would never lose completely the, the touch of the French intonation, no? Uh, no, I don't think I will lose it. I hope I will, but I don't think <laughs> so. It's very oh, well, I, I think it's very pleasant, too. <laughs> and, uh, 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 Catherine, did you find at all, with um, once you got into the into the swing of German, did you find that knowing two languages which are quite just very different from each other indeed, like French and German as well as English or Irish, did you find one language helped another at all? Yes, I definitely think that the more language you learn, the better. Because before I ever started learning French, I had fluent Irish, which I learned in the Greatach, and I was at an all-Irish speaking school. And I was sort of, I was used to communicating in two languages, so that when I had a third language added on, it wasn't too much of a strain of something I wasn't used to. Well, that seems to be common ground among all our learners. Here now are two well-known broadcasters who set about, each of them set about learning a foreign language in a particularly intensive way by attending special intensive courses abroad. Brendan O'Hare learned German this way and John Horgan Spanish. Well, I started to learn Spanish for a very specific purpose, the newspaper had decided to send me to Latin America, to Cuba to be precise, and I'd had a very depressing experience the last time I went to a Spanish-speaking country, thinking, I suppose, like most people, that you pick it up in two or three days. I found myself completely incommunicado, completely unable to communicate with anybody. Used to, I used even to weep tears of frustration because you weren't able to get through to people on the telephone, even though... Uh, I could read the language reasonably well in newspapers and so on. So um, a three-week course didn't make me into a, a polylingual genius or anything, but at least it helped to uh, establish this basic kind of communication without which I think you're lost when you're abroad. Well, I agree, because I came at it in a different way completely. I went through Germany, as I thought, on my way to the United States, and my father-in-law, uh, who is a German, talked me out of going to the United States, and he said, why not stay in Europe and learn the language, learn German, and um, live here for a while and then uh, make up your mind. So in my case, I, I, I tried first the Modidach, the old Modidach, by going around and speaking to the farmers, but in the uh, region in which we were living in Germany, uh, they spoke a dialect, a very strong dialect. So after about three months, I decided that I had to go to an institute, in this case, the Goethe Institute, who uh, run um, two-month courses, four weeks at a time, and um, that's how I came at it. 
I was just wondering, are, are the courses that you did uh, completely the creation of the Goethe Institute, or uh, have they borrowed them from somewhere else? In my case, uh, the centre that I went to in Mexico, in fact, borrowed its course from the U.S. Foreign Service, you know, for training diplomats and so on. And uh, in spite of a rather strange ideological content to the course, the mechanics of it, the phrases and everything were very, very good. You know, um, this course is completely, uh, was designed completely by Schultz and Griesbach, who founded the Goethe Institute. And these texts, books, they, there are three of them, which are used all over the world, in fact, as far away as Tokyo. And they've just devised this method. And it is, in fact, unmodidach again, except under supervision, strict supervision, uh, three hours classes in the morning, then a lunch break, and an hour with a break of an hour, and then another hour. But you are, as well, like the uh, Irish colleges in Ireland, you are boarded with a family. Uh, in some cases, you are boarded with uh, another student, but they, in so far as possible, they try to decide that uh, you will be boarded with an Italian or a Saudi Arabian or an African or someone whose language you don't share. So that you have to speak even to him. In German. In, in German, yes. All the time, yeah. So if, if you were to put your finger on the key to the method, it is the direct the necessity of speaking German at all times. Always, yes. Uh, it wasn't quite this way in my case. Um, we had the option of staying in a, in a with Spanish-speaking families, with Mexican families, or in a sort of small hostel that they've converted a villa into close to the school. I stayed in the hostel for the simple reason that it was closer to the school. I didn't like the thought of walking through the Mexican sun every day on the way up to the school. But um, I found that even though this was the case, and even though one tended to speak more, more English outside the classroom, uh, especially in, in the hostel, you would find a high degree of motivation among the people at the school so that even people whose common language was, say, for instance, English, would at mealtimes stutter along to each other in Spanish and not feel self-conscious about it? Well, certainly I found this uh, in my class. There were 20 of us. There were 11 nationalities, ranging from Tibetan to Irish, and I was the first Irishman who ever attended this particular Goethe Institute, that uh, you had to, you really had to speak German from the very first day, and the very first lesson in the book helped you. They gave you directions, they told you your right hand from your left hand, and to, uh, so on, that uh, you were led to speak German, even although some of us, there were... Uh, seven or eight Americans in the group, that we all did. We all tended to speak German, even bad German, broken German, for a start. And what kind of motivation did these people have? The Americans uh, were mostly uh, people who were um, doing their national service in Europe and would get a grade. I, I don't understand American education all that well, but they, it meant getting a grade if they got a certificate, because the Goethe Institute gives certificates. The uh, rest, all of them, I would say, apart of myself, were uh, going to study in Germany. They were going to study in university or in the Technische Hochschule in Germany, and they had to have a basic knowledge of German. And after eight weeks in one of these institutes, they were equipped, had they worked, uh, they were equipped to follow any course in any Technische Hochschule or the first year in university. Yeah, I was trying to evaluate for myself after I came back what standard I had reached in this after only three weeks of a course of about the same level of, of intensity as the one you went through. And working it out, I think it's fairly safe to say that 
in terms of grammar and um, syntax and so on, I was up to about a good intercert Spanish level, perhaps perhaps even honours intercert, but with a certain uh, advantage in, in pronunciation because of already being able to speak French and knowing a little bit of pidgin Italian. Did, did you find that there were any corresponding advantages in your case or not? In my case, I, I found that um, being a native speaker of Irish as I am, that that was an advantage as far as pronunciation went, that I had no reservations at all about the uh, the old, you know, rattling the old spit around, uh, which I found that was a great disadvantage to the, uh, there were two English boys in my class. Uh, I found this a uh, great advantage. A disadvantage I did find, I must say, was my age, that I was, oh, 10, 11 years older than uh, most of my classmates and they expected me because of my seniority and uh, incipient baldness and all the rest of it to be much brighter than they were and uh, in fact this was not the case because they could the things that uh, they could just pick up and retain I had to work very hard at and uh, I was a working journalist at the time and I had to do a certain amount of my own work I found this a great disadvantage and I regret it, I must say, at the time that I, I just didn't get an opportunity to learn a third language. I had English and Irish, but uh, if I had, I think, a third language, it would have been a great advantage to me. In other words, your experience would go to back up the claim that people make, especially a claim, a very topical claim in Ireland, that the more languages you know, the easier it is to learn languages. Almost certainly. Again, I, think, I wonder, I, don't, I ask you the question because I don't know whether it's true of myself or not, to what extent people like us who do this kind of course lose the language afterwards? Because I mean, people say about Spanish, for instance, that it's one of the easiest languages in the world to learn and one of the easiest to forget. Well, uh, in my own case, I had a, a very practical example of this. Uh, three months after I returned to Ireland from Germany, I was employed by a German television unit uh, to act as a liaison, kind of um, guide man around Ireland. They were doing a documentary here. But halfway through this, they suddenly uh, the director said, um, I want you to perform, I want you to do three minutes for me in German. And I said, can I um, read a script? And he said, no, 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 you have to do this straight to camera. And um, I was terrified. But then I concentrated. And for the next two weeks uh, before I had to do the job, I just spoke German all the time to them. And uh, I found I could do my three minutes uh, Effortlessly. But now, now, admittedly, I would need, well, let's say a month before I could get my fluency back again. I, I, confessed, I confessed to being a little bit uh, apprehensive at the thought of plunging back into a Spanish-speaking milieu again. But one one uh, completely unexpected thing that happened to me, uh, what little Italian I know, and it's really pidgin Italian, was very useful, especially in terms of vocabulary and so on, in picking up the Spanish. But I tried occasionally... Uh, when I was learning the Spanish, to bring back the Italian into my mind and found a complete block. It was almost impossible to get through to it. And this may simply be the question of milieu, you know, of living in one area of language and, and trying to think about another. You can't just um, throw a switch in your mind, as it were, and change over from one language to the other. Uh, John, how successful do you think these crash courses are? Well, this wasn't a crash course as I, as I know there are crash courses. They literally put you into a tank and fill it with Spanish or German or whatever it is until you're soaked so, so, so completely in it that you can't do anything but speak it. Um, 
I don't know. I think my particular course was successful in that they paid enormous attention to pronunciation so that whatever Spanish you speak, you will speak it properly. And I think this is a priority that perhaps lots of crash courses don't pay enough attention to. But this, funnily enough, is my own experience. Uh, pronunciation was everything. Pronunciation, my own teacher uh, devoted, I'd say, half the class time to pronunciation. And uh, all this thing about blas uh, or dialect or whatever you call it, uh, which has tended, I find here, in the case of Irish, to be kind of denigrated of late, is all important that no matter, even if you only speak 25 sentences, that these sentences are perfectly intelligible to any German, in my case, yes, or to any, yes. presumably any Spaniard in yes. this case. Well, that, this, was, this was the reaction I got, you know, when I went, and I thought I was... I would tend to be very ashamed of the, of the Spanish I was producing because it was so halting. But uh, the response was, you know, uh, you, you speak it very slowly, but you speak it well. I suppose the most remarkable experiment in learning and teaching a language on a massive scale has taken place in our time in Israel. Indeed, it's not so much an experiment as a magnificent achievement. Louis Marcus learned his Hebrew in Israel a few years ago, although, of course, he wasn't a complete stranger to the language even before he went. Well, this is so uh, insofar as Hebrew is used as the language of prayer in the synagogue. Um, a Jew learns the alphabet as a child. The alphabet is a bit of a problem for Westerners because it's read from right to left and it's a cuneiform rather than the Roman alphabet that we're used to. Uh, but really, this only takes a week or so, you know, and from there on, you're more or less at the stage that anybody is when they're beginning to learn a language. Now, did you settle down to learn modern Hebrew at all before you went to Israel? Yes, I pursued a little bit of this sort of teach-yourself thing while I was here, and I had possibly 300 words before I left, which uh, allowed me to opt out of the elementary class. So I saved perhaps three weeks there. Now, uh, it might be worthwhile just telling us exactly what you did, what happened uh, when, when you went to Israel. I mean, you, you know... You mean at the school itself? Yeah, well, was the school part of a kibbutz or what was it, you know? Oh, no. Uh, the school was called an ulpan. This is actually the Hebrew for a studio... Uh, but the word ulpan has become associated with the schools in which immigrants learn Hebrew. Now, there are the two kinds. There's the part-time, usually on a kibbutz, where you work for half the day, and for the other half you get your tuition free. And there was the full, there, the full time, which I was at. I was in a hurry to learn the language fast. Now, you began at, I think, about 8 o'clock in the morning, and you worked in the classroom up to lunch, then you returned after lunch and you worked up to about 4.30 and then you had from then until you went to bed to do your homework. Some evenings there were uh, debates or functions of a nature which would uh, encourage you to, uh, to use what you had learned. But were the classes themselves, uh, what sort of method did they use? They used the direct method. There was in theory, there was no language used except Hebrew. In fact, of course, every now and then the teacher had to explain something. And as the pupils came from about, 
oh, maybe 30 or 40 different countries, this would have been a problem, except that most people in Israel speak five or six different languages anyway. And uh, the only people who were at a loss, of course, were the Anglo-Saxons who spoke only one. Um, what about Celts? Uh, the Celts were all right, so were the South Africans who had Afrikaans. And in fact, it was very amusing uh, that, as regards English-speaking students, those who had a second language, as I had Irish and the South Africans had Afrikaans, had no problems with the learning and the pronunciation of Hebrew. The English and the Americans, the Australians, the English-speaking Canadians and so forth, they really found it very, very difficult to learn and their uh, accent was appalling. Did you find it difficult yourself, uh, even with the help of having a second language, did you find it difficult though to approach a language which is so completely alien, I don't mean to yes. you, uh, but alien in the, linguistically alien, I mean, and, and nothing to do with a European, an Indo-European language. Frankly, no, because I think with the direct method, this hardly arises. Uh, the teacher, you know, in place of saying, uh, the way to say, I am a boy in Hebrew is, he doesn't approach it in this way. So there's no problem of translation. He merely says, ani, ani, isher, ani, yeled, or something. And these sounds become to you what that means, the same way as a child himself picks up a language. So these problems, which are, which would loom fairly large for the book learner, do not appear, I think, in the direct method. And how long was it before you found it really becoming part of you? I found that after, say, about eight weeks, which was halfway through the course, I was able to fend for myself outside the school. You see, they use the word frequency method also there, in that you learn, first of all, the most frequently used 500 words. This is the sort of thing that we have in Bunthus. Exactly. So at, at the end of that, you were able to hold a conversation, even though you only knew these 500. The fellow to whom, uh, to whom you were speaking, a native Israeli, perhaps had 7,000 words, uh, but the fact was he was only using these 500, so you were on equal sort of terms with him. And this, as you say, came after about eight weeks. This came after about You were pretty well at sea at first, I suppose, yeah. You are, because, of course, the, uh, the Israelis speak so fast, and then there are elisions and slurs in habitual speech, which are completely new to you. It has then become a real sort of vernacular in that sense, uh, among people who were brought up in Israel. I mean, it, it, you know, it, has, it has adopted all the slurs and elisions, as you say, and all the, the sort of the casual touches of of a language which is as if it had been spoken for ages, has yeah, it? Uh, well, <laughs> uh, this is a question that I've often been asked, and it's so unrealistic uh, as a question to someone who has been through it. It is as though I were to say to you, so in fact, um, English in Irish, you know, is sort of spoken as an ordinary language. Is that so? But no, but <laughs> you know, it sounds the same, yes. because Hebrew to the Israelis, uh, uh, first of all, it's important to point out that the Hebrew language revival was effectively over in the early part of this century. Ah, well, of course, this is the point. This is you the see, point. A lot it's of people not, think yes. it happened in 1948 no, at the point of, of a gun. It yes. was all over then. And the, uh, the average Israeli is totally unaware of the fact that he's speaking a revived language. Uh, there are no organizations for the revival of Hebrew anymore. These are a part of Israeli history for a PhD thesis or something. And, yes. you know, people speak fast and slur and use slang and 
swear and do all the things that one normally does in a language. And in other words, there are people, I mean, uh, who perhaps second, third generation. Uh, oh, yes, and speaking. fourth and fifth, yes, mm -hmm. yes. And you see, even the children of immigrants um, are... All children in Israel attended a kindergarten before school because so many of the mothers are out at work. There's very little thing of the mother remaining at home with the kids. And then they have Hebrew at school. It is the language of the school. And in the army, even if an immigrant arrives in aged about 30, he has to do his army service. And there he's integrated. So that anyone under the age of, I would say, now under the age of 50, uh, simply speaks Hebrew as a normal language, mm -hmm. as his first language, probably. How did you find newspapers and things? How did you find reading in general? Well, reading is hard, uh, harder in Hebrew than in other languages because we learn Hebrew liturgically with a system of sort of dots which indicate the vowels. Now, in real Hebrew, these aren't there. So this is a peculiar problem to Hebrew. The other thing about reading is this, that there are newspapers printed with the dots to help the learners, and there's a weekly newspaper for the for these students in which the outside pages use only maybe 300 words, the inside perhaps seven or eight, and the centre page perhaps 1,000 to 1,500. This is actually a newspaper. You don't read about uh, the pen of your aunt in the garden. You read about what the Israeli Prime Minister said at the United Nations the week before, the traffic problems in Jerusalem, they're setting up a new kibbutz somewhere, you know, and you don't feel you're really learning a language, you feel you're becoming absorbed in the life of a community. Now, did you yourself uh, stay in Israel much longer than the completion of the course? No, I left Israel almost immediately after the completion. But in the latter part of the course, in the evenings, as you say, and so forth, when you were mixing around with people, you found that this while your 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 power was developing, your power to speak the language and so forth. Oh yes, um, well in fact all the time was not spent at the old pan. There were holidays and there were weekends, and I was travelling in and out to Tel Aviv on various courses about filmmaking and that. And I travelled around the country, and I did find, especially in the second half of the period, when I was around fifteen hundred words, that unless they were speaking about atomic physics or some specialised subject for which I didn't have the terminology. Apart from that, I was able to keep up any ordinary conversation fairly respectably. Not just talking about the weather. Well, they don't have any weather in Israel. It's <laughs> all the same. <laughs> Were there any specific problems for an adult, somebody who was away from school, away from university for couple of years and some years. Oh, I think so. Uh, I think this is the same as trying to play a game of football several years after you've ceased to be in training. Uh, the muscles are pretty st pretty stiff, you know. Um, you don't absorb as fast as you used to as a child and you don't retain it as long. I think the only solution to this, and they seem to be aware of this at the old pan because it was for adults, yeah. is, r is lots of repetition and very hard work and to say the thing over and over again and of course to use it immediately this was the great this is the great thing about trying to learn a language in the country itself that you have to use it you have to use it all around you and for heaven's sake keep away from the students who speak the same home language as you of course because this is a disaster did you find at all that there were people in the classes 
and has it been the experience there at all that there are people who quite literally find it almost impossible to learn a language? Well, I had believed this before I went to Israel, but having mixed at the old pan with people from 40, 50, sometimes even 60 different countries, I'm convinced now that this is uh, perhaps a fallacy or even worse, a fact of Anglo-Saxon communities, is people who speak English who have this impression. Outside England, you will find, especially people who don't live on islands, that they speak several languages and the immigrants from the Arab countries, from the East European countries, from South America, would speak five or six languages fluently. These would not be educated people. These could be simply manual laborers. And they would, they simply couldn't see what you meant when you said that, in, you know, where I come from, only educated people speak three or four languages. They couldn't see the point. Did anybody accuse you of speaking Hebrew with a Cork accent? Well, they had already had somebody from Cork a few years before, and they did say I spoke somewhat similar to him. <laughs> well, now we've heard a variety of experiences of learning languages in different ways at home and abroad. Uh, and, as we've said, a number of common factors come out, the problems of learning in middle age, the necessity for repetition, the question of building a vocabulary, emphasis on pronunciation and so on, and, of course, the way in which one language helps another, two languages help a third, and so forth. And in this, of course, the advantage of knowing Irish, if only for that reason. Uh, what about Irish itself? There's um, uh, a problem here, of course, with many people who have forgotten the Irish they learned at school, uh, or at least in whom it has got rusty, and other people perhaps who never learned much at all but who are trying now to come back to it, perhaps having left school for some years. Here's John Higgins, for instance. He's uh, from uh, Irish Shipping. A number of you there have been tackling this. We have, yes. How uh, did you go about it? Well, uh, through the uh, cooperation of Gail Lynn, who organised courses for adults, uh, we organised a course in our uh, employment, and uh, we got 16% uh, of the whole staff interested in this, and, in fact, they were uh, quite pleased that we were running these courses. How many would you have in a class together? Well, we had 16, in actual fact, mm -hmm, in, in this class, class. and uh, it happened to be 16% of the total staff. Um, they uh, were very interested in learning Irish because a number of them wanted to learn it in view of the fact that it was their own language, and uh, because of that, uh, they were very happy to take part in... When were they sceptical at all about the possibilities? Uh, they were, because uh, some of them had already taken part in language courses previously, and these had failed rather dismally. And some of them had unhappy memories, perhaps, of school with even the best will in the world. Yes, uh, that, uh, I think, coercion and, and compulsion that is uh, in school, I think, was removed from it because of the fact that it was a voluntary effort, and uh, for that reason... They felt that they'd probably do better, they'd be more relaxed in their approach to it. Well, now, what sort of method was used? Well, uh, it was similar to the Buntu's kind uh, on Telefisheren, and uh, the uh, courses were organised, uh, the lessons were organised at least, on tapes. These were played over uh, a number of times, and then the uh, class was asked to repeat the uh, sentences that were on the uh, tape 
and then questions were asked by the teacher who came in at that stage and asked a number of questions relevant to the uh, little pieces of uh, conversation that had been taped. Well now, how did this work out? Where Did people respond? Well, at first they were taken a little bit aback because of the suddenness of the questions and the change uh, from uh, sentence to question, etc. But uh, after a while they got into it and uh, I think that they found it very, very satisfactory. Now, has there been any formal grammar teaching? No, this was one of the things I think that appealed to a lot of people, the fact that they wouldn't have the drudgery of learning grammar and having to remember rules of grammar as they had in school and I think most of them had uh, unhappy memories of grammar in the school. Well, is there any... That, that, well, this, of course, would imply that there's, there, there hasn't been any writing or formal uh, reading or anything like that, no? No, no. Not yet, uh, anyway? Not no. yet. It's uh, just simple conversation. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the unit has been the, the sentence all along, has it? I mean, they don't sort of say, you know, that the Irish for uh, a table is bored, but they give you a sentence with bored in it, yeah? give you a sentence, yes. This is the idea. And uh, this is the way you've gradually developed uh, conversation. Yes. Well, Tatu Kapagwil and with the Dolorai Guma. Oh, Tashi, Tana, Dini, Tas, Rong, Tashi, Galer, and Has, the Mariolar, and Rongana. Corsa one at Adiento Gavinish. Corsa one. Agus and Menchivadolimon Corsella. Beg, Savor. Thank you. Agus, Majalath Hain and Ish, will Anguil give you Agat Fado, will she attack the Rasha Gatandoilath? Well, Shemahorn Gawilshe. Well, that sounds pretty encouraging. Mind you, there's no royal road to language, no magic wand which will make us all polyglot overnight. Not yet, anyway. Maybe they'll come up with something someday. But in the meantime, it does demand some hard work, but it needn't mean drudgery. And I think all our learners would agree that it's worthwhile. Good night. <laughs>